You're listening to 1590 Afterwards. Good to catch up with you, Spence. How was today's program? whole lot of fun. Had some uh, controversy, had some just uh, fun stories and all of that. Well, the controversy, if you don't mind, we'll start off with it again because when we have arguments, anybody does, you can argue like, let's say, the death penalty, and you can argue pro-choice, pro-life, whatever. You can argue the Second Amendment. And usually, at least with a person, you can say, I see your point, but, mm-hmm. you know, and you just say, I can't go with you. But you have a good exchange. This transgender in the girls' sports, my mind explodes. I can see zero, like a point nothing that I would accept this. And we've had another problem here, this time in Connecticut, I believe, where a transgender runner came in and won. Mm-hmm. And it's like these girls, and it is girls because it's high school. What? It's like, I don't know if, what I would do if I was a parent. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's scary. As And we're both girl dads and we mm-hmm. both have gr- girls that are within the sports world and stuff. And it is, it's, it's, it's terrifying. I don't get it. I do not understand the argument. Do I want transgender people to be treated with respect and safely and everything yes but you cannot go over there because the one thing is if a woman transitions to a man how often do they go into a male sport yeah how often are they going to go in and win a boxing match not often right no i'm guessing not often i know a couple that i'd be nervous about oh yeah but it's still (laughs) it's to the point where i don't get this argument you must save women's sports you have to it's just such a weird time because at the same time as we're finally trying to get women to where they belong in the workplace with equal pay and equal opportunities and all of this thing, all of a sudden we're going to, you know, because sports is a big part of every kid because sure. it's it's part of community. It's a part of socialization. and then Teamwork for work in the future. Like I would tell Cole all the time when the hockey and hockey coaches can be beasts yeah. and I'd say, Cole, you got to understand when you get older, there might be that boss out there. There might be the dude. There might be the woman that just forcefully directs you. This is part of the growing experience. Right. Well, imagine you you have all of that and then you, you go through all those practices and you don't even have a chance to win because you're participating against somebody who was biologically born different different tools and, and able to just smoke you every time you go out there. And you've got the, uh, well, they took treatments. They didn't lose their large male lungs right. or the muscle mass that they have. Even though it might reduce a little bit, it's still significantly more than a woman. So I, I am just befuddled by this whole conversation that this isn't just, oh, no, check that one off. Let's carry on. It really would be interesting to like get to the root of because you know that it's a very very small percentage. Granted, it's a it's very influential small percentage, mm-hmm. but it's a very small percentage who thinks that this is okay. A very small percentage. They used to call it tyranny of the majority, where a majority of voters could force things like way back in the cruel days, slavery, and then they they said you can't have tyranny of the majority to. Just because everybody votes for it, you can't have a law. That must be for me. You can't have a law that is um, against the rights of people. You cannot make a law that's against the law. You You can't do it no matter who votes on it. And in this case, I see this as a tyranny of the minority. You have a couple of people that are controlling an entire sport of girl and then women athletes when you go into college. I don't get it. 
But it's happening again. So I just think this, I don't want this to be one of those things in 10 years where we go, remember when? I I want this just to be done. And find a way to create a transgender sports team or competition of some kind. Yeah, maybe Not like, otherwise. A, like the like a separate Olympics thing or something. Who knows? Whatever it would be. <laughs> My other thing, just because I am getting a little aluminum hatty as I grow older, is the fact that I swear other countries might decide that hey, you know, Yusnapkinik is a hundredth in the men's hundred meters, but if we switch him over, yeah. he might win the women's, and there could be a concerted effort to say, hey, you willing to swap out for the country? Yes. Well, there's been a history of that in other countries where they start grooming kids at a very young mm-hmm. age. They go, oh, this is going to make a great ice skater. We're taking her away from her family, and we're just going to yeah. – that's what she's going to be doing the rest ah, of her life. Ah, you got a fast twitch, baby. We want it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the way it goes, kids. So I, I think this is just a topic that must be discussed, and I would like to have input from other people who do take the other side to, because I have to say, what the heck? I, I just don't see it at all, at all, at all. It's very maddening. Yep. It's let's go to another – topic here doing a little history and this is one of those things my favorite i know you're not denim on top no no very anti-denim on top 1850 levi strauss made his first pair of blue jeans 1850 now your favorite uh, football team they play in yeah the levi's stadium Stadium. the big old giant levi's logo up there up in the skyline when you go there do they have more denim that might be logoed out I don't remember seeing anything like that. Nothing that you think, no. oh, this is Niners, so I'm putting this up top. So if there was a <laughs> beautiful, <laughs> let's say, um, uh, bespeckled, what did they call those things? The, um, oh, where you, where you put the the rhinestones onto, you know, you had it was an infomercial. And you, you had oh, the right, right, right. house. You had the yeah. bedazzling. The, that's yeah. it, the bedazzler, yeah. If they had it, you wouldn't. You no. wouldn't go even. No, I, well, who, I, it is, if everybody, if nobody had cameras, maybe you would do it. If but I knew no, that there was going to be no witnesses, I might bedazzle up. As a kid, it was always a rough time because Levi's were a little more expensive. Mm-hmm. But the key was, I would tell my mom and dad, but I said, but seriously, they last longer and they're better, and they are. So let me have. And we had to fight, kick, and claw, and scream uh, to get. Laid. When you had Levi's, and it wasn't because you were sporting a label. They were better jeans. Right. They were better jeans. That's the end of the story. Yeah, we. I wore some some level of husky something or others. Shrink to and, fit. Uh, remember those? Oh man, Oof. it was crazy. I think I think I had to get new pants like every three or four months because I was one of those kids. I would go. I'd get. I would constantly be out there playing, wrestling, fighting, whatever, and just. You know, you're a kid, and if you didn't have good clothes, you just burned through them really quickly. Yeah, and there was, you know, the other thing is, and again, back in the day, we actually made the holes in the material ourselves, and it became like, I have one that's just totally hacked up from when I used to actually work for a living, and they were in my drawer, and Aubrey says, can I have these? And so now she's wearing mine, and I said, at least these are legitimately torn. They're legitimately ripped jeans. And she's now wearing my old uh, holy jeans. Wow. And that's Yeah, so it's funny how that passes on. But 1850, Levi Strauss made the first pair of jeans. We do have another one, 1933. Do you remember the movie you saw in at your first drive-in? Yes, in a previous life. <laughs> 1933, you shapeshifter you. 
The first movie I saw, you know what's here's a funny thing. Now that you mention that, I don't remember specifically what movie we were there to see, but I do remember we were looking at boobies out of the back window on another screen. Yeah, because you're old enough where that multi-screen thing mm-hmm. came in, and it was funny. <laughs> when I was a kid, it was there was a lot of drive-ins in this area, a bunch of them. There was one in T.O., one in Simi. They were through Ventura, Oxnard. I think Santa Paula at one point even had its own drive-in theater. Wow. Yeah, they, it was just fun. Such a great night out. Oh, it was nothing like it. We went up to the one that was above Santa Barbara. It was the last one. I oh, think yeah. it was actually in Goleta. I think it's still there. The kids were, how often can we do this? They loved it. They just loved the idea. You got your own food. You, you know, you stop by Subway, do whatever, uh, grab some popcorn. They thought it was like the greatest thing ever. And when we went to the Thousand Oaks Drive-In, we were there for opening night. And it was the world's biggest snack bar west of the Mississippi. Wow. That was their claim to fame. And back then, yeah, it was great. It was <laughs> the like war lines. wagon and the longest day uh, to uh, one kind of a Western movie and the other one, the story of, oddly enough, the story of D-Day. Oh, yeah. And today is D-Day. Oh, is it? Wow, isn't that weird? That, oh. that movie would pop up uh, today. Today, yeah, is, uh, is the invasion, uh, June 6th. The day we're recording this, you might be listening at a different time. More than likely. But love the, yeah, more than likely, absolutely more than likely. <laughs> Unless and you're really you're not, sneaky. Yeah, how do you do this? Yeah, you must tell us. We need to be informed if you're hearing this now. Okay, so that was just a funny thing. 1933, now drive-ins are just gone. Real estate, for the yeah. most part, is too expensive. It's too bad. I miss those days. They have the drive-in, and then in the a lot of them during the daytime, they would be swap meets. And a lot of times, they were really cool swap meets yeah. because they were able to hold so many different vendors. Their pr- vendor pricing wasn't outrageous, so you'd get different little unique vendors in there. And that's that. I really would love to see a return of the drive-ins. I even pitched an idea of a skateboard park at a drive-in. It was oh. weird, and so you can multi-use it so kids could actually be there Monday through Friday. Just do anything because drive-ins, okay, now they have a lot of like dive-ins at local swimming pools. So people will be out in, in yeah. tubes and they'll do movies in the park that are on the bigger screen. But nothing like a drive-in. We all remember those. Ed Sullivan's show probably was never for you because you're not old enough. The yeah, I last Ed Sullivan was 1971. Yeah, it was a couple of years before yeah, my before you my were birth even, and you made it out here. I turned fifty tomorrow, so I was born in seventy three. What day is tomorrow if we're listening to this podcast oh, in that a week? Would, that would be June seventh. <laughs> Six days ago, I'm going to turn fifty. You know, if you ever have trouble remembering my birthday, all you got to do is look up Prince's birthday because you know, oh, he, he and I share a birthday. Wow, different years though. Yeah, the only one I can think of with me is Phoebe Cates. Oh, yeah, pool scene, fast times for John High. I think I'd rather share a birthday party with her. Yeah, that's my that's my that idiot. Kevin Klein or somebody married her. You. How did that happen? But the Ed Sullivan Show was the show of shows. And the beautiful thing about the Sullivan Show, for you folks who remember, on one night, Ed Sullivan was a genius. You would get The Doors, then Tony Bennett. You would get um, Henny Youngman, then George Carlin. You would get a roller skating elephant. and then you would senator. Get tra- yeah, and then somebody would <laughs> come out and just say, hello, shake hands. It was brilliant on how it balanced the variety. And I don't know if that could come up today. I'm just not sure if if they could work that kind of variety show that Ed was so. And you look at a guy who was not really attractive. You know, <coughs> he was not saying anything wrong, but he wasn't. How did he get that gig? I always and they all, we'll all do. Well, at least I will. A really big show. 
You know, so he didn't yeah. have a presentation like a, a regular, but he put it together, and that was the biggest show in the world. I remember as a youngster, about seven, when the Beatles came on and the whole world flipped. But yeah. that was the Ed Sullivan show for any of you kids. And the final look back here, we got to go back uh, 1965. The Rolling Stones released that big song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Outside of the bad grammar, the first place they played in the United States was in what California city? California, the Rolling Stones? The Rolling Stones. The first city they played in in California was what? Oh, my goodness. Well, let me guess Sacramento because it's the capital city. San Bernardino. Oh, wow, of course. The Swing Auditorium. <laughs> they played the Swing. The Swing was a very famous place back then, but San Bernardino is where they landed. Could you imagine? You know, not New York, not Philly, not L.A., not Dallas. Uh, not a big city like that. Not San Francisco, the last place the Beatles played, by the way. Yeah. Last live show was Candlestick. Right. But that was it. The Rolling Stones actually played the Swing Auditorium back in about 1965 yeah, when oh. they released I Can't Get No Satisfaction. I'd love to know, like, capacity, like, how and how how, how did they fill the room? Because I, I like yeah. to think about a lot of the comedians that I've worked with over time that have been, like, well, Burt Kreischer, who has had the movie recently come up and all this stuff. I remember times when I would do shows with him and there would be, you know, 14 people in the audience on a Sunday. And so looking back, it was a really special thing watching somebody that's so... You know, you knew that he was special. You knew that he was really dedicated to his craft and at some point was going to be further than anybody else you really knew. Maybe not the level that he actually is, but it was a special thing to watch somebody working in those intimate, smaller crowds on the way up. It's cool. And everybody wants to say they were there, but how many were? You know, you always hear, I always had that show. Well, it's weird. There's only 38 people there and 10,000 have claimed it. But you always hear, <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, but it is fun. Same with music for me when I would see a couple of things musically. And I did see some startups at the comedy store. But back then, the Comedy Store was in Los Angeles where every single person came. I love the Seinfeld story uh, where he came and he just didn't get along with her. Mitzi right. didn't get along with her. And you know the reason why? And he just admits it flat out. He's very sure of himself. And he says, I was sure of myself from like 10 years old on. Mm. And when so no, I can do that. Yeah. And he said, oh, I can do that. And she was bothered that he didn't come in like the humble boy from this and getting the great honor. And he says, no, I'm, I'm going to be great. I'm going to make it. And that apparently disturbed her. And he said, I have no issue with confidence. And he said, it's just been that way my whole life. And she didn't like him for that. But I did get to see, as I've said many times, a lot of good performers there. Yeah, I saw Chris Rock at the Comedy Store. Uh, he was pro he was practicing for the uh, when he did the Oscars. It was the it was the whole um, he did the whole Jude Law or the yeah it was the Jude Law thing, but it was the one where he said Mel Gibson and Jesus can't even get a movie deal. It was that one. It was it was amazing to watch him do that and then actually see it on TV about a couple weeks later. Was really he crazy. announced or did he surprise? What do you mean as far Did, as... As far as being at the comedy store. Did he just walk up? Oh, no, no. It was a surprise. Yeah. It, but but wow. while we were in line, because I, I actually had met up with... I, I was This was in between my marriages. This is a really weird story to put out publicly. But um, the, the insurance adjuster that was in, in, adjusting a claim on a car accident I had invited me down to visit her. 
And so I came down, visit her, and we went to the comedy store together. And that's we just happened to go. And while we were in line, uh, one of the guys was like, "Hey, I was I was like here a couple nights ago, and Chris Rock came in. He did blah 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 blah." And he was like, kind of describing it. And I was like, and then we kind of started wrapping our minds around, wouldn't that be really cool if he popped in and you know Chris Rock? And sure enough, you could feel the room as he entered. Uh-huh. I, didn't, I couldn't see him, but I knew something was going on. Kind of like the feeling when Michael Jordan enters the room. Even mm-hmm. if you can't see him, you know he's there. Yeah, we had, and we're going to wrap it up here, already done with the 1590 pretty much. But I was at, so a wall away, we were at the comedy store. And we had some really solid, uh, the Vic Dunlop style comedians oh, of the yeah. day. And all oh, those Vic. guys, Bill Kirkenbauer, and all the people that were very famous for being on Make Me Laugh. But we were in the comedy store, and the comedians up there saying, yeah, and those 7-Elevens, and you just heard, <laughs> and everybody stopped, and he goes, who just walked into that room? It was Eddie Murphy. Wow. The room next door, Eddie Murphy walked in, and this is when yeah. bam, he was playing the forum for crying out loud. And it, the, the look on his face, so he stops and goes, okay, what happened? You know, And he just shrugged, and like, great. You know, so now everybody's looking at the wall yeah. and looking at him, and he's going, it's not my fault. We but chose the wrong room. very funny. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> but anybody who doesn't understand this, you go to the Ice House, Leno could walk in any time. They were talking about Norm MacDonald would just walk in and do sets and people mm-hmm. like that. So you you can hit this level of comedy. At, now, they are going to be working new stuff a lot of times. Uh, a lot of times, yeah. But I've, uh, I've done the Ice House with George Lopez, Arsenio Hall, our buddy Blake Clark. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melissa Peterman. I mean, I, I can go down a list of so many names. I mean, Titus and Alonzo Bowden. Yeah. And, so many good people. I mean, I, I can remember at the Ice House, one of the 50th anniversary parties, where I was sitting at a table. Titus was on my left, and Bowden was sitting across from me. I think it was, oh, who were the other two? I guess it doesn't really matter. But it, it was just one of those things where I was like going, this is one of those moments, the reason why you get up and you do those open mics, because you end up in this cool thing that so many people would just love to be there. That's crazy. The only person the entire time I went to the comedy store that wasn't on stage, Lou Ferrigno, sat in front of me. Oh, wow. And he seemed like a really cool dude. And this is Hulk time when he was just known. Yeah. And he uh, he was up there, and you just shoulders, and you're like, whoa. And every Hulk, Hulk. Everybody was talking about it. It was funny. I can only imagine because he's still such a big deal. Yeah. Everybody still knows who he is. And he just, he found his way. He Mm -hmm. definitely found his way. What was the show he was on? King of Queens. And he played himself. That was so funny. That was it. What a brilliant bit of writing that was. There was, I don't know if you've you've watched all the episodes when he was on. I know we're going into overtime, but this is super important. There was an episode where Lou was the, he was the neighborhood gossip. It was so amazing. And Arthur, Jerry Stiller, the one of the most brilliant minds mm-hmm. in comedy history. So he's down down in the basement and he's watching Lou spread gossip from the basement out the window. It was oh it's I don't even want to ruin it. It's so good. It's so good. And Lou Ferrigno in, in that comedy setting is absolutely amazing. Be able to kind of step outside of his own ego and go, you know what? Let's go ahead and make fun of me. Let's let Leah Remedy rub sure. body butter on me and stuff like that. It was so good. And if you watch Pumping Iron, you can see that he had a personality as a youngster. That's the the movie about bodybuilding that brought uh, Arnold, certainly, and Franco Colombo and the like. 
But Lou was in there, and Lou was, they were supposed to cast him as a demon. They actually wanted him, but they said, here's this poor guy who had a hearing issue when he was a kid. They said, how can we demonize this guy? (laughs) That would just be mean. Uh, So they didn't. But initially, he was supposed to be the big bad boy that was coming up to get Arnold. But everybody just loved him, and they said, can't do it. We're done. All right. Well, thanks. A great episode. How much fun did we have today? Thanks. 19 minutes and 20 seconds of fun. Oh, wow. That's overtime. I'm going to have to make sure that my, my time card reflects that. All right. Thank you for listening to 1590 Afterwards. We will see you very soon.